2 Thessalonians 2. And I want to read this verse. And I pray to God for the holy anointing of the Spirit to give it the proper uh, treatment because, uh, like all of Scripture, it's of grave, grave importance. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now you know what withholds that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity is already working. Only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion. Now that's the, my focus today. There's a lot in this passage. But this is what the Lord has put on my heart to share everywhere where, I, where we go. That the time is coming where God will send a strong delusion. It's almost inconceivable, isn't it? The holy God who cannot lie. We'll try and explain some of the aspects of this because I've been really praying a lot about it and I believe the Lord has shown me things. Anyway, let me continue. God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, is what it literally says, the lie. That they all might be damned. That they should believe the lie that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. It's actually a sin not to believe the truth. Therefore, it's a sin not to care whether what the truth is or not to seek the truth. That's actually a sin, okay? But anyway, let me go back and let me just give a little context and then, and then we'll take a look at what I feel the Lord has been showing me. First of all, though, this church, uh, Thessalonians, a, a very tiny, very persecuted group of people. And yet we're told here and we're shown here, uh, which is a broader truth, is that in the worldly terms, you and I we're nothing. And we count for less and less all the time. We're the nothings of this world, the offscouring of this world, as Paul said. We are nothing. And yet, the Creator shows us things that the chief people of the world will never know. He lets us, as it says in Psalm 25, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him. To them he will give his covenant. I spend a lot of time talking about Bible prophecy. You can't talk about Bible prophecy without talking about international events. And I always make this comment because I believe it's so of God that uh, the least person in any Christian church anywhere on earth that gives any attention whatsoever to prophecy 
knows more about what the real world situation is, the real problems of this world, the, what's actually going on, than all of the people at the UN put together. I kid you not. All the experts and pundits. The God said, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise. I'll bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And here you have the same thing. He's saying, look, there's a delusion coming to the earth. Who is he saying it to? A bunch of despised, persecuted, harangued, marginalized, rejected people who only recently had come to Jesus Christ. Another thing I want to point out is that um, this group, uh, Paul, uh, if you read the book of Acts about the founding of the church, I won't have you turn there, but it's in Acts 17. Paul was only with them for three weeks, and then he got driven out. And he's very worried because they were persecuted, and he wanted to know if they survived. So he was only with them for three weeks. So when you read this letter and 1 Thessalonians, you can get a glimpse of what Paul was apt to teach, what we modern people call baby Christians. Don't give them too much. They're babies. Make sure all you emphasize is love and all this stuff. And so what did Paul teach them, though? If you look closely, Paul taught them the meaning of repentance. Paul taught them about the apocalypse. Paul taught them about the parousia. Paul taught them about the great deception, the great apostasy. And I can see modern people now, Paul, you're doing it wrong. These are baby Christians. You don't give them all that heavy stuff. No, that's what he gave. And you could tell because when you read First and Second Thessalonians, he's constantly saying, don't you remember? I taught you that. I mean, they knew about the Antichrist and everything, okay? And he constantly refers back. I told you, I told you. I do. Why? I think it's important. I think one of the crimes of people like me, pastors, evangelical pastors, is that they avoid Bible prophecy. They avoid these uh, events that are happening right before our very eyes. They have figured out that this is the way to turn people off, so we don't want to do that, whatever we do. Paul wasn't afraid of it. These people were... Brand new. They were pagans. One day they're pagans, and then they began to go to the synagogue, and then they, they became Christians, and then three weeks later, Paul gets driven out, and man, he's filled them so full of eschatology, uh, uh, the second coming, the, the, the deep things that he, he got from Daniel, the things about the Antichrist, the things about the great delusion, the great apostasy. That's what he taught them, so-called baby Christians. And uh, notice that he gives them good news. The good news for them was that Jesus hadn't come back yet. Okay, how would that be good news? Well, their situation was so bad with their persecution, they actually thought that the day of the Lord's direct intervention had come, that they thought they were living in the tribulation. So in that sense, it's good news that, no, he hasn't come back yet because Jesus is going to come. As he said in the first letter, He's going to come, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and that we which are alive and remain till the coming of the Lord will be snatched up off the face of the earth with a swift and irresistible energy. The rapture. I believe in the rapture. I've been believing in the rapture ever since 1977. I never, ever, ever feel ashamed of believing in the rapture. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I, my constant prayer for all these 40-some years that I've been a Christian is, come Lord Jesus, come. Anyway, uh, another thing about this, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the word coming is uh, parousia. See, I do, I do another teaching sometimes on, on the letter of Thessalonians where I call it apocalypse or parousia. 
See, Jesus is coming, right? Do you still believe that? I, I gather you did by the worship, but I know pastor and everything like that. Obviously, okay. So, Jesus is coming. But to some people, it's an apocalypse. And to other people, it's a parousia. Well, what's the difference? Okay, apocalypse means unveiling. Like you didn't know it, you didn't see it, you couldn't see it, and it would be the last thing you would ever think would happen. Such as the kings of the earth and the rulers and the pundits, the last thing that they think is ever going to happen is the coming of Jesus Christ. They scoff at the notion, they don't believe in the notion, they do not anticipate the notion, and suddenly an apocalypse means you jerk off the blanket and look, there it is. And they are going to be stunned. They're going to be beggared. The Bible says in Romans 6, they're going to sit there and beg for the mountains to fall on them. They are not ready for what's coming. They have their own agenda and plans, but believe me when I tell you, they have no idea what's coming. And they are going to be shocked. But there's another group of people despised and rejected, marginalized, cast aside, ridiculed, persecuted, the nothings of the world. Now they do expect it, and to them it's not an apocalypse then, it's a parousia. The word is like, hey, did you know the king is personally coming to your village? Prepare the way of the king. Fill in the potholes and whitewash your houses He's coming to you personally. It's someone we love and anticipate and long to see. He shall come. It's the parousia of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's the word he uses for us. To them, apocalypse. They have no idea what's coming. To us, oh man, I've been waiting for this day. I I thought he'd be here by 1980, seriously. But he didn't let me down when he wasn't. Okay. He's, he's coming, as you've heard. And it's so close now. I just like, hallelujah. <laughs> but to them, oh my gosh, <laughs> they're going to be stunned. So he says, in view of the parousia and of, and this is an interesting word. I can't resist to give it to you in the Greek. In, in view of our gathering together? No, the episynagogue. Epa means above, and synagogue means a gathering. What's he talking about? The rapture. Don't be deceived, he said. Not by anybody, not by letter, not by word, not anything so-called from Paul himself. Uh, evidently, they were hacking epistles back then, just like we hack computers today, all right? He says uh, that the day of Christ is, is at hand. In other words, don't, don't let anyone tell you you're in the tribulation right now. Because that would mean that you, you missed out. Okay. Well, it seemed, it was so bad, it seemed like it. I'm sure Christians in China are tempted to think, is this the tribulation? I'm sure Christians in the Muslim world are tempted to think, what? Is this the tribulation? But he said, no, no, Jesus is still coming. It hasn't happened yet. This is not the, the direct intervention of God. That day can't come unless there come a falling away first. Now, I'd love to talk about this uh, today, but I can't other than to say this. It's not what most people think the falling away is. See, most people think the falling away is like a church apostasy, like, oh, bad, false doctrine going to come. Well, you can think that until you start studying church history. 
See, I studied church history, and at first I got very depressed. I want to hear about these early church people and how faithful and loyal and powerful they were. And I found out right from the start, the last apostle died, the church was swarmed with heretics, heresies. Orthodox Christianity was just one option among about 50 other imitations. And you know, I was really down about that because century after century after century after century, that's the church history. It's nothing but apostasy. And one day, the penny dropped and I realized what God was really teaching me. Doing, it's a miracle there even is a church. It's a miracle that we sit here and sing gospel songs that are the same gospel as the apostles. It's a miracle that we love each other and build each other up on the teachings of the apostles because Satan's attack has always been apostasy. So what? Uh, so he says, that day can't come until the apostasy comes. But what apostasy? Which one? It's been nothing but apostasy. Oh, I don't have time to go into that, but suffice it to say, it's a definite article. The apostasy. And what I believe about it comes down to this. That it may include Christian apostasy, but it's wider than that. It's a universal apostasy. See, there was an apostasy in salvation history that was universal wasn't limited just to the confessing people of God. It was everyone in the world. What does apostasy mean? You move away from a position. There was a time where all the nations of the world universally departed from what they knew of God. That's the Tower of Babel. That's when they left. That was the apostasy and what did they leave? Because they weren't all saved, and they weren't all uh, committed Christians or practicing worshipers of God, but they did all share a common knowledge, something that had been revealed to them by God, which they moved away from. That's when all the false religions began right there. Now, what, what are we talking about then that's yet to come? See, I believe that... Uh, there are things in the Bible revealed to the congregation, the Christians. And then there are other things that God revealed to everybody. For example, marriage isn't just for Christians. It's for everybody. Fruitfulness isn't just for Christians. In other words, everything revealed in Genesis 1 through 11 is universal revelation from God. Think about it. God created the heavens and the earth. Male and female created he them. In the image of God created he them. He said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Marriage between a man and a woman. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. These are things God revealed to the whole human race. Fifty years ago, if you said marriage, anyone on the street, I don't care if they're Christian, backslidden, or what, would know what you're talking about. What is going on in our world right now and is universal? 
nothing less than the onset of the apostasy. Now, every apostasy leads somewhere. The ancient apostasy led to Nimrod and then to the destruction by God. Well, this apostasy will come to its apex in the worship of Antichrist, whom the Lord shall destroy with the breadthness of his mouth and with the epiphany of his coming, who exalts himself above God and all that is God or that is worshiped of God. In other words, this transgender stuff, that's all connected to this. All of this is part of it. It's a massive worldwide apostasy against manifest God-revealed truth to humanity. There's only two genders. Uh, there's only one way to God. Uh, marriage between man and woman. You're supposed to have children, not abort them or refuse to have them. Birth control is part of it, too. Okay, this has been going on monumentally for about 60 years. But believe me when I tell you, it's leading somewhere. It leads somewhere, just like the apostasy in the ancient world led somewhere. And to someone. In that case, it was Nimrod. And then destruction, calamity. In this case, it's Antichrist and the greatest religious test the world has ever seen. Now, let me get back to the text here. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. A deification of a man. Or the deification of a man as a projection of a deeper philosophy, the deification of man in general embodied in the one man that really be, seems to be showing everybody what's possible, right? So uh, this is a very, very dangerous thing. Now, uh, he goes on to say that there's a delusion coming, okay? And then I'll skip on down to that, verse 11. For this cause, uh, uh, God will send a strong delusion. Now, that is uh, extraordinary, and it's hard to wrap your mind around, but the more familiar you are with the Bible the more you realize that, oh, of course it's a possibility and it's something that God's done before and, and certainly will do again. He says it right here. He's not sharing this with everybody, though. Only the little tiny pocket of people faithful and true to him. He's sharing his secret, all right? God will send a delusion. Now, Paul might have got part of this from Isaiah. I won't have you turn there, but Isaiah 66, God says, because I called, you wouldn't answer. Then I will choose your delusions. They shall come upon you. And this is a clue, perhaps, to what the delusion really means, is that how could a God who is absolute truth and utterly honest send a delusion? Well, it's very possibly that what he's done is said, you have your preferred delusions that you insist on, you demand. And I have worked with you. I've sent servants. I've sent the church. I've sent righteous people. To call you to leave that delusion. But you won't have it any other way. So, now I'm going to let you have the delusion that you favor. I'll bring it on you. I'll make it seem so real that you can't get away from it. I remember a story in Kings. I've been going through Kings. Man, I love those narrative stories in the Old Testament. 
They are so beautiful. There's so many powerful ones, okay? So one story says that uh, a very evil king named Ahab talked a very good king into going to battle, Jehoshaphat. And he says, you, you go to battle with me. And uh, the king says, fine, but I never do anything without praying about it first. So could, do you have any prophets here? He's man, do we got prophets? We have 400 prophets. And they brought the prophets out, and they were doing the stuff that modern-day prophets do. They put on a big production, and one of them made some horns out of iron and said, here's what you're going to do to the enemy. And he starts you know, ramming away, and they're doing all this stuff. Victory, victory, you got the victory, you got the victory. And you know what? Even the dishonest king says, this doesn't sound right. <laughs> and the good king says, you got another prophet? He says, yeah, I do, but we never use him. He never gives me a good word. I hate that guy. <laughs> That's the one you want to call for, right? And that prophet came out, Micaiah. And the kings are there. Oh, all right, give us the real word. We'll take whatever comes, no matter how bad it sounds. So the real prophet comes out and says, go ahead. You got the victory. You win. You're going to win so easy. God is on your side. And the king says, come on. Even Ahab says, nah, come on, give it to us real. Tell us the truth, because the heart knows truth when it hears it. Even the bad people know that a lot of this stuff is a sham. I mean, you're going to tell yourself that it's good for society to have gay marriage? Homosexuals dressed like women reading in a library to little children? You should tell you, what? If you're sober and clean and free of the propaganda, you know that's ridiculous. But it's like the emperor's new clothes. Everyone's into it, see? So you got to go along. Anyway, the king says, come on, Micah, tell me the truth. Micah says, you want me to tell you the truth? I'll tell you the truth. I saw God meet with his angels. And I heard him say, Who's going to be a lying spirit for me? Because I want to kill Ahab. That's your God too. God's good, isn't he? He's awesome. He's forgiving. He's loving. He's long-suffering. But you know, there's a goodness and severity of God. So, one spirit says, I'll do it. Go lie to him. It's what he wants to hear. So give him what he wants. I've often said this. For years and years and years and years, we've been decrying people like Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, and uh, you know all these other buffoons. The more we do it, the more popular they become. <laughs> and then one day I realized, God must have showed me this, if there wasn't buffoons like those, someone would have to invent them. You know why? Because they have such a constituency of faithless people that just demand to hear that stuff. So if there wasn't one, we'd have to come up with one. <laughs> because that's all they'll ever want. And when God judges people who just constantly resist him, part of that judgment is he just gives them over to their delusions. And that is a serious, sober thing. Now, I said all this to say this. I'm sitting there watching, uh, because now there's a new month, 
Gay Pride Month in America. Now, I'm not, and I'm not going to tell you all this stuff just to give you groaners, okay? But there's a spiritual teaching underneath it. See, what's happening is spiritual to the core, and what's happening is actually leading to the ultimate religious test. That's what he's shown me. And basically, I'm watching this, uh, this advertisement, even in the city of Marion, Iowa, which is about as middle America of conservative values as you could get, and yet some guy got a hold of the library and said, can we have gay story hour, where transvestites sit in, with little kids on their laps and tell them stories. And they go, fantastic. And they advertise it, and people are saying, this is such a family-friendly thing. I'll be there next year. And these are people that normally, I mean, they never even think that way. And I believe, you test it, but I believe I was told. That's because this is the beginning of the delusion. The long-dreaded Delusion. I mean, just think about it. Ten years ago, if anyone suggests something like that would be happening, even just ten years ago, you would have been scoffed at. People would have said, are you crazy? No one would subject kids to this. Where you look now. Everywhere you look. That's just one example. It's not just the gay thing. But basically, we're living in a time where the unacceptable is not only acceptable, it's applauded, it's promoted, it's endorsed by people you wouldn't think. You wouldn't think for one minute that they would ever give any place to that whatsoever. you got a prime example. See, I believe wisdom cries out in the streets through public events. God is speaking. Israel Falau makes a very conventional, common-sense Actually, he just quotes a verse in a Twitter, his private life. And there's the uproar that you see. And there's all the predictable things. I mean, I hear another rugby player tried to stand with him and wished everyone a happy Easter and said, God bless you. And then, and then he had to come back and apologize for saying, he is risen on Easter Sunday. What? And then you, no fiasco is complete without Brian Houston and Hillsong. He stepped forward to deny Christ. He literally denied Christ. Well, see, that's the thing. We've got to expand our understanding of what it means to deny Christ. Brian Houston will not say, well, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in Christ. He doesn't say that. But when his brother was taking heat for standing for the Christian teaching on marriage, sexuality, and gender... Brian Heat stepped forward to virtue signal and to tell everybody that we're the loving Christians. I want to tell you something. That is not only cowardly and it's a betrayal and a denial of Christ. But what he, God is showing me is that that's the functioning of the delusion that's coming. Get ready for the unacceptable to be applauded by people you couldn't expect. It's a judgment from God. When God judges, when God has mercy on a person, he shows them the truth. But when God judges a person, then he just gives them the delusions that they already entertain. Now, why would normal people... See, this is another thing. If you don't mind, I'll just do a stream of consciousness for a minute, okay? Uh, normal people that aren't gay, 
take their children to gay rights parades in every major city now in June, and they watch naked men or men in obscene leather costumes, men on their hands and knees crawling on leashes to other men, and they say, isn't this wonderful? Every June we bring our children out and watch. This is insane. It's absolutely insane. And my only conclusion is that this illusion. He, he's giving people up. Now, why would a normal person do this? Well, there's a lot of reasons. But one, one reason is, is there's functions of the delusion and there's parts of the delusion. For example, if you accept that, what you are actually entertaining is the fantasy that there, this is not a moral universe. Really, God loves you no matter what you do. Nothing you could do could ever compromise your relationship with God. God is all love. That's a delusion, of course. That's a fatal delusion. God is not all love. All day long, God is angry at the wicked. He's bent his bow. His fingers are on the string. At any point, he can let go of the arrow, and that's it. The wicked shall be cast into hell, and all nations that forget God. You'll never see that on a Hallmark card, though, will you? That's the Bible. That's the Word of God. Now, look, I'm saying what I'm saying with a broken heart. This is like waking up in a science fiction movie and you're on another planet. I mean, are you kidding me? You don't see the problem with this? That's what I'm always saying now. Pulling out my hair. What? This is terrible for children. This is terrible for everybody. These parades where they march down the streets. A verse came to me from the book of Isaiah chapter 3. And let me read this verse, okay? Isaiah 3, 9 through 13. The show of their countenance is witness against them. And they declare their sin as Sodom. They don't hide it. Woe to their soul, for they have rewarded evil to themselves. Say to the righteous, it will be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. But woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him. For the reward of his hands shall be given him. As for my people, children are their oppressors. Women rule over them. O oh, my people, they which lead thee, cause thee to err, and destroy the way of thy paths. The Lord stands up to plead and stands to judge the people. I was in New Zealand last year when Christ Church got shot up, that mosque. The next day, the the Prime Minister of New Zealand is a woman with a burqa on, and they have the call to prayer on the radio instantly. It's like, it's crazy. It's, it doesn't make sense. Now, the thing is, okay, I, and I'll tell you another a little vignette that makes this point. I had, a, we had a, a good Friday, no, a Palm Sunday service. And there was a man in the church at that time that was an evangelist, and he brought a friend to church. And this lady was about 30 years old, unmarried, and she sat there in the church, and she cried from the beginning to the end. And she heard the sermon, and the tears poured down her face. And she cried after the sermon. And he said to her tenderly, you know that the Lord is in this place, don't you? She says, absolutely. And you know that, that what the preacher was saying is true. Absolutely. And he says, you can get a sense of the love of Jesus that he gave his life. She says, you better believe it. He said, would you like to become a Christian? She said, I'd love to, but I can't. Well, why can't you? She said, I'm not gay, but I have a lot of friends that are gay. 
And I feel if I became a Christian, it would be a slap in their face. And that's when the Lord showed me another facet of this. You don't have to practice homosexuality to go to hell for it. All you have to do is be loyal to it, support it, vote for it, love it, fight for it when others are trying to tell people that it's wrong. Did I ever tell you about the two pastors that were on the Larry King show? See, this is all, all the same subject, the delusion. Two pastors came on Larry King's show. And the other guest was a woman that's a gospel singer who came out as a lesbian, but she still says she's gospel. So the one pastor, who I, won't, I don't need to name, I don't even remember his name. He's like us. He's nobody, okay? But he was a man of God, so he told her what I think any Christian would. Now, Larry King loves this because his thing is to get people on his talk show and lure them into denying Christ. He's done it many times, and he does it over and over again. Joel Osteen is a frequent flyer on that program. I mean, it's just unreal. So he said, the first pastor says what I think a man of God would say. Young lady, we love you, and Jesus loves you, and there's not a thing you've ever done that cannot be forgiven by Jesus. Jesus died for your sins, but you can't say you're a Christian and a lesbian. She said, I'm ministering to all the homosexual kids in the church that have nobody to stick up for them. You know, it's all about bullying and everything like that. And he said, no, you can't say that. You're not Christian. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Basically the same verse that Israel used. And he was interrupted by the other pastor who at one time was the head of the National Association of Evangelicals. That guy interrupted and said, wait a minute, brother, wait a minute. He said, just remember this. The only people Jesus ever condemned was religious leaders that told others they were wrong. Now, as soon as he said that, that lady smiled. She took great courage. See, her delusion was just strengthened by this virtue-signaling hypocrite. And Larry King smiled. He thought, finally, the kind of church and the kind of Christian we've been waiting for, an open-minded, modern Christian. And I'm sure the listening audience was happy in many cases. But the Holy Spirit did speak to me that day. I'm sure of it. Because the thought that came crystal clear is not something I'd think of. I got this thought like, did you see what he just did? He just gained the world. Now think about it in biblical terms. He gained the world. What, what, he didn't become rich or famous or anything like that. No, but just for a sliver. A sliver of approval. From a world in rebellion against God and his plan for man, woman, and uh, marriage, he was willing to sell out his brother. By the way, what's that make his brother? You hater. What did Brian Houston do to Israel Palau? It made him into a hater. You hater. Jesus said betrayal will be a mark of the last days. See, here's the question that I think the Lord has shown me is that is the delusion already begun? Is the delusion coming stronger and stronger? Are people being polarized between those who are deceived or will be deceived and those who are not deceived? In the end, it'll be a total polarization. See, not everybody, not everybody comes under the delusion. 
He, he brought it clear in this passage. There are those who receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And those who are refusing to love the truth and they believe the lie that they might be damned, is what he says. So there will be a polarization, even right through the church, right through the core of the church. You got uh, the Brian Houstons and the Israel Flowers or whoever, because there's a lot of people on smaller levels doing the same thing Israel's done. One of the things the Lord showed me is I said, why do people have to lose their businesses, their bake shops, their bread and breakfasts just because of this intolerance? And the Lord showed me that uh, this generation is so jaded and incapable of belief that it's to the point where the only way some people would ever be reached is if they see a Christian pay a price for truth. That'll, that's powerful, right? Now, uh, but like I say, not everyone comes under the delusion. I think of another verse here. <laughs> see, I'm sorry. My problem is I don't know where to start and where to finish. Because there's so much. But I won't keep you too long. But Jer uh, Peter says judgment begins in the house of God. How many know that verse? But you know what he's referring to is Ezekiel. Ezekiel had a vision of angels that started in the temple. Because they were so idolatrous and sold out. He, these are executing angels, but one of them had a, a marker and a, a little uh, list in his hand, and he said, uh, before the judgment begins, you go and mark those who cry and sigh over the abominations committed and spare them. The rest, take them out. See, within the professing church, there's two ways now, unfortunately. The one way is accommodation. And believe me when I tell you, you'll see evangelical churches making a way to accommodate homosexuality, Islam. I mean, it's already happening. And the other way is they mourn. We mourn. We, just we can't make our peace with the new path. Our loyalty to Jesus won't even let us do it. We just can't do it, right? But the others will do it. And the more they do it, the more it makes the other group look terrible, right? Not everyone comes under the delusion. Those who receive the love of the truth, they, they'll be saved. But those who believe the lie. It's because I'm not saying that the delusion is homosexuality or the delusion even is Islam, although both of those are delusions. I'm saying the kind of accommodation that you have where you could find a way to make peace because that's the new world spirit. You just make peace. You just find a, an accommodation. You just go along with the flow. What do we got to change now? What do we got to accommodate now? Come on, let's be adults here. Let's quit judging people. I've even seen churches go out on gay rights marches. Got these leather-clad freaks. And they have signs that say, we are sorry for what the church has done to you. What has the church done? Well, if it's done anything, it's told the truth. We're not burning anyone's stake these days. But maybe telling the truth is even worse. You know how bad it can get, guys? You know the most damning indictment Jesus ever made of anyone? He said, because I tell you the truth, 
you won't hear me. Man, if that ever happened to me, what's he really saying if you think about it? You believe anything, anything at all but the truth. You're allergic to truth. You wouldn't accept it. You'll go anywhere and believe anything but the truth. How do you get that way? See, there's an old-fashioned word that's going out of use, but I think it's just as valid today as ever. It's a biblical word called reprobation. It talks about what happens to the soul if you keep resisting God. You don't stay the same. Come as well, you know, when I, at the end of my life, I'll turn. The Bible says, seek the Lord while he can be found. Call upon him while he's near. You can't say that you'll accept God at the end of your life. Besides that, you won't stay the same, by the way. We're always in transition, okay? And, you know, the, uh, the proverb says uh, that life is like a path. You're in transition. You're moving. You're not stationary. Nobody is. You're more this year of what you were last year, way more. And next year you'll even be more because you don't stay the same. So the book of Proverbs says the way of the righteous is like the shining of the sun. Now, 40 years ago I set out because, I, because God showed me something that completely turned my life around. And it's very simple. He showed me that Jesus died as a substitute it hit me so hard. I used to sit in the mass, look at a crucifix, and go, what is it all about? I'd say, I know he loves me, that figure on that cross. What's he want of me? Should I suffer? Should I feel humble? Should I humiliate myself? Should I go uh, be a missionary in Africa? Should I marry an ugly girl? I mean, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and what's it all about? And then one day, man, in my despair, in my rented room in Ames, Iowa. And I was praying and crying because I had started going to uh, Assembly of God Church, but I couldn't live the life. I was just too sinful. And I said, this is for them, but not me. I can't do it. And, you know, I was so distracted, but I was also reading the Bible at the same time. Have you ever done that? Read the Bible distracted. And what you do, well, what I do anyway, is read the same sentence over and over again and don't even know what I'm reading. Someone come in and say, what are you reading? I have no idea. But then I did hear a, a thought. It was the Spirit. Look at what you're reading and understand it. So I looked down at the page of the Bible. It was 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for me, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And in a moment I saw his substitution. That's where I saw the light that he was talking about and the burden of my heart rolled away. But it's a path. You know, I just had this much light. You know how you t set out like 5.30 in the morning, just on the horizon. But I just keep on moving forward. There have been many setbacks and many trials and many pits and many thorn ways I went and then got back on the path. But the light is coming more clearly, right? It just gets brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. That's the path of the righteous. You're on a path. You can't stay still. But the path of the wicked is as the darkness. In other words, there is a time, you know, where people have a little bit of light. And the whole function of your soul, you're supposed to let that light into your soul before you die. But if you keep fighting it, you're moving too into deeper darkness. 
I think of a passage in Proverbs which is so illustrative of this. It talks about a young man lost wandering the street, and it says, in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. See, what is happening right now is that it's getting darker for some, and it's getting lighter for some. There's so much more I could say about this. I did write a bunch of blogs on my blog. I'm not trying to flog my blog. Hey, that's a good, I made a rhyme. But, you know, like the thing that came to me is that we also happen to have lived through something that I call the self-revolution. See, psychology's been around for about 100 years. It's not ancient. It's, it's just a fake science 100 years old. And it actually teaches the very act, exact opposite of what Jesus teaches. Because Jesus says that if you want to follow me, you take up your cross and say no to yourself and follow me. Psychology says, no, your problem is you don't love yourself enough. You need to learn to get your self-esteem up. And you need to learn to love yourself. That's the most important thing, be true to yourself. And the Bible warned, in the last days, men shall be lovers of themselves. And there's a whole teaching about self that the world gives, which is in total opposition to the Christian church. Although some Christian churches say, you know what, our problem, we don't have enough psychologists in the church. I don't have a degree. We need to get a psychologist in here. Why? Why bring a practitioner of another religion into a church? So the more people love themselves, it's, see what, is, what it's all doing. The Lord showed me. All these streams are leading to the same place. It's setting people up for the worship of Antichrist. And the last thing I'll say on this, because I don't know uh, if I'll ever give, be able to give another message, so I've got to be uh, complete to whoever will hear, is that um, uh, when, when the final act of apostasy occurs, which is the mark of the beast, the last thing those people that line up to take that mark are thinking is that it's a religious act. There'll be a lot of good reasons to do it. Economic reasons, convenience reasons, stop crime, cut down the cartels, whatever. But the last thing they'll think is that what they're doing is an, a religious act that will be the final apostasy. If you do that, you can never come back. They won't think that. But see, this is the thing about the delusion. It doesn't really matter what we think. What matters is what God reveals. See, angels are going to fly through the sky and say, if anyone takes that mark then, and worships the beast and his image, then the smoke of their torment is going to rise up forever and ever and ever and ever. Oh, you've got preachers now, like John MacArthur. Someone says in the Q&A, can you take the mark of the beast and be forgiven? Absolutely. This scares me. Because you're encouraging people to do something that angels are going to go through the sky and say, don't do this, don't do this. It is irreversible. It's the last apostasy against God. But see, that, that mark comes at the, as the culmination of a very long process of delusion. You know, back to the beginning, like I sit there and watch families bring their children to gay, gay pride marches, something you wouldn't ever expose a child to. They're happy. The kids, are, the kids are kind of shielding their eyes when naked men walk by. But mom and dad are there with rainbow balloons and rainbow t-shirts and everything. 
They've been conditioned. They've been seduced. They're blinded spiritually. And the blind will lead the blind into the pit. The delusion is already on us. If you do that, you'd do anything. You'd take the, taking the mark makes more sense than that in a human way of speaking. And so I believe that you should take a second look at 2 Thessalonians 2. I will be, I'll be addressing it. I came over here. This is one of the messages God told me to talk. Is the delusion already here? And look, I don't want to end on negative. On the positive, he tells you, receive the love of the truth. Buy the truth and sell it not. With all you're getting, get it. And call wisdom your kinswoman and understanding your lover. Bind it on your heart. Write it on the table of your heart. Let there be an inward acceptance of it. Bind it on your finger like your wedding ring. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this church. Let this light shine all the way to the end. Bless the pastor and the elders and everyone here, O oh Lord God. Let us be that remnant, O oh Lord, that stands for the truth. And may we pluck people out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all.